0: I want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. We've been in our Fruit of the Spirit sermon series, and we've looked, at, um, we've looked at love, joy, peace, and patience. And this week we're going to be looking at kindness. So I'm going to invite David Vanderhaar, uh, who just they became uh, members just recently. And he's going to read the passage for us, which we're going to be looking at Titus chapter 3. So turn your Bibles to Titus 3. Uh, it's in a weird part of the New Testament. I've always thought about it when I memorized it was all the T's are together. First uh, and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy, and then Titus, uh, which is just one or two pages. But we're going to look at chapters th- chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And if you don't have a Bible, there's Bible f- Bibles for you underneath the chair in front of you. And there you could turn to page 998 of the Church Bibles. And so, we're going to look at this fruit of the spirit of kindness, especially given our cultural moment, how important this is. So, let's give attention to God's word as David reads this for us. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Thanks, David. Lord, we give you thanks for this morning to be able to come together and gather as your people Uh, That we we were reminded, even in this service, Lord, just how your mercies are new for us every morning, and that you delight in us, and you desire to call us your own. And so, Lord, as we come this morning to your word, Lord, remind us and make it afresh just of your kindness for us, and how because of the kindness that you have shown, we might be people of kindness as well. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I thought about this fruit of kindness, I had a hard time thinking about an example of where we might have experienced that. And I asked my wife yesterday, actually, do you have any stories of kindness that we've experienced or things that we, I could share in my sermon? And she reminded me of one back when I was in seminary and we were at Target shopping and we had gathered all our stuff and we were in the checkout lane and Two customers ahead of us was checking all of her items out. Now, she looked really, really disheveled. And she was buying um, diapers, baby wipes, clothes for a child. And as she was doing it, one of my pet peeves is how long people take at the checkout counter. I mean, it's one of those things where I, coming from Chicago, people just got in there and got out. And people have conversations in St. Louis with, their, with the cashier. People talk about their entire life. They ask, have you tried that? I want to try that, you know, and it just <laughs> drives me crazy. <laughs> so this woman, though they weren't having conversations, she was just taking a really long time, just really slow and methodic. And, and like I said, she, she looked pretty disheveled. And by the time that the cashier had rung her out and gave her the total, she didn't even have her wallet out, you know? And so I'm like, oh my goodness, my frustration was growing. I was getting annoyed, and she was slowly taking out her wallet and taking out change, a couple of dollars, and realizing she didn't have enough. And so then it became this game of, well, how much do you have and what items can I take out? And so on repeat was, I'm going to take this item out, Okay, that's still not enough. Well, what if I put this back in and I take this out? You can imagine my frustration growing more and more because it just prolonged for a very, very substantial time. And so I'm already getting annoyed. There's already PTSD coming. But she was taking forever. And and as she was trying to figure out how much she had and what she could pay for, I shared how she was two customers ahead of me. And the woman that was in front of me interrupted and said, I'll pay for her items, and I'll pay for all of the items that she has removed. And that woman who was disheveled, trying to scrounge up enough money to pay for the baby wipes and the diapers, said, no, 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 I'm just going to pay for what I have. And she tried to reject her kindness, but this woman was adamant, no, I want to pay for you. And then she said, well, let me get your address, let me get your phone number. And she's like, no, I want to pay for you, without anything in return and in that moment my first reaction was can you pay for all my stuff too (laughs) but secondly and more importantly this morning I was flabbergasted because my shock the the reaction I had was of shame was of guilt I should have known better I was in seminary to become trained as a pastor I was there with young kids who are also tough to manage and to understand and empathize with this woman was far from what I was feeling in that, in that time and experience. And what I came to realize in that moment was how beautiful it is when kindness is actually practiced, right? That there's flourishing that happens in the life of our community when kindness is practiced in our lives. Now, when we think about our cultural moment today, that's the farthest thing of what we would describe our moment as, right? Kindness is not what we describe our culture. Rather, it's things like negativity, pessimism, indignation, anger, rage. I agree with Zach as he prayed for us. We probably need to pray every single week for our hearts as we get closer to election day in November. We are marked and held not by what we commonly hold together and what we agree with, but what forms a community now. It's everything that we disagree with. It's everything we hate about the other person or other party or other group. It's what we could cancel about another specific person. That's what unites us and brings us together. David Brooks just wrote recently in The Atlantic about this exact thing. And he said, We are held together by a common sense of what we disagree with than by our common affections. He went on to talk about the surveys that have been done recently amongst uh, people under the age of 30. And in this Pew Research study, what it said was that people under 30, 73% of them believe that people only look out for themselves. And then 71% say that most people would try to take advantage of you if they got the chance. That is what marks our cultural moment today. And I know you have all experienced it and agree with it. So then it makes sense in our cultural moment when we think about the fruit of kindness that it can be one of the most powerful virtues to be able to bear witness to Jesus. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Kindness can bring restoration. It could bring healing. It could bring flourishing in our day, in our time. And so, what I want to briefly do is just look at three things kindness defined, kindness expressed, and kindness personified. First, kindness defined. We see a beautiful picture of what kindness looks like in verses one and two, in what Paul writes. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Paul is giving us a beautiful picture of what kindness looks like for the people of God in the church. One scholar defines kindness this way. He said, a disposition of the heart that seeks the welfare of others independent of their deserving or not, and also independent of any services that you receive in return. Or more simply, I like the way Tim Keller, who passed away recently, said it this way. He said, kindness is just love in action. We looked at love a few weeks ago, right? Love is patient. It's kind. And we see that how Paul here with the fruit of the Spirit Puts together patience, last week and now today, kindness. And what kindness is, it's love, sacrificial love. practiced outwardly towards others. And I think as we flesh out what this definition means, I think the first thing we recognize is that it is not personality driven, right? I think a lot of times we we can kind of conflate or bring together this idea of someone who's nice as being kind. Anyone can be nice. If you're going to get something in return, you will be nice because of what you would get back. Niceness is a personality, but kindness is something completely other. Like when I was dating my wife, I think I shared this story before, when we were in our early years of dating, our early days of dating, we were on the phone long distance, and I said, and she always brings this up, I uttered the words, I will never get mad at you. And it was true in that moment. Why? I was being nice. Because I wanted her love in return. It was all about me. Now obviously there's things I loved about her, but I was being extra nice because I wanted something. And I think here, this is so different. It's not about just nice platitudes. It's not being nice. It's not like a Hallmark card that we read on the inside page. Rather, when you're in conflict, When there's someone you disagree with, it's not just putting on a smile or pretending everything is okay. It's to choose to legitimately seek the best interest of someone else despite what you might disagree with. You can be nice. You can be nice when people are watching, but is it consistent when no one's watching? In the privacy of your own home, See, niceness is just a personality thing. It's something you show other people in public. But kindness is something that's consistent in your life. And it's also not consumer driven, right? Consu- we are such consumeristic people. When the cost is too high, what do we do? We don't practice kindness because it costs us too much. C.S. Lewis said it this way he said, The real trouble is that kindness is a quality fatally easy to attribute to ourselves on quite inadequate grounds. Everyone feels benevolent if nothing happens to be annoying him at the moment. See, kindness is not consumeristic. It is costly. It's at the expense of your own time, of your own energy, of your own finances, for the betterment of someone else. It's not based, it's based completely on love, being thoughtful for others more than yourself in any situation, to help others, to encourage others, to comfort them, to do something that serves or benefits them. You see, real kindness costs us something and doesn't expect anything in return. And I think when we think about biblical kindness, it is something that's promise-driven, promise-driven. It's not consumeristic. It's not personality-driven, but it's promise-driven. And why I say that is every time kindness is used, especially in the Old Testament, this word hesed, and we, we looked at that, if you remember, when we went through the book of Ruth. It's this gritty love. It's translated loving kindness. But there's a beautiful psalm, Psalm 136, where this refrain is said over and over, for his steadfast love endures forever. And it's a beautiful psalm that looks at Israel's entire history, from the creation of the world to God creating the universe and and us, of Him delivering Israel out of Egypt, into the wilderness, into the promised land, defeating their enemies. And through all the accounts of of Israel's history, what's the thing that has remained consistent? God's kindness for them. Because of His promise to them. See, kindness is something that is given and offered because of the promise that we have received. That is, we promise, and the vows that we make to one another, even in this room, when people join this church, we promise to show kindness even when we disagree, even when we vote a different way. We show kindness because we have promised, we have made vows to one another. When God acts in kindness, it means that God is being faithful to his covenant promises, paying careful attention to our needs, acting in a generous and merciful love, generously providing everything for our blessing and benefit. That is kindness. It's sacrificial. It's costly. It's more than just someone who's nice, a nice person. So how do we actually live out this kindness? How does the fruit of the Spirit Of kindness ripen in us. And grow in us. I think this is where we come to the second point. Kindness expressed. Kindness expressed. We have to understand ourselves first. You want to be a person who is kind. And to see this fruit grow in us. We have to understand ourselves. The reason I did not show kindness to that woman. And only had judgmental and critical thoughts was because I forgot who I was. I forgot who I was, that I thought I was better than that shopper that was ahead of me. And here, Paul reminds us of that in verse 3. What does he say? He says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. That's who we were. And in order to be people of kindness, we have to remember this. It's a picture of our own past lives. We were the opposite of kindness. We were self-absorbed. We used others for our own gain. And, and, and just think about this. These things that are described here, our own brokenness, sins that would probably kill and end most relationships and friendships, What does God do? Does he end our relationship with him? The things that we break relationships for? No. The very things that would kill any relationships that makes us hostile and create dissension and destruction is actually what constitutes our friendship with God. He knows. He knows all that we have done, and yet what does he do? He comes to us. He pursues us. When the worst is known, what does he do? He offers us his love. And he also offers us his kindness. It's given to us. God pursues us undeserved. And that's where we have to know and understand the weight and gravity of who we are, who we were. And yet he pursued us and loved us and showed us his loving kindness, his hesed, this gritty love. And we see that in verse 5. It wasn't because of any works done by us, but only according to God's mercy for us. His said for us. Instead of, instead of striking us down, he shows us kindness and welcomes us into his family. We become heirs, verse 7. We become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He adopts us into his family. Though we deserved judgment, condemnation, death, he gives us life. He calls us sons and daughters. And that's what you think about when you hear these words. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, right? He's slow to anger like we looked at last week. He's patient. But he also knows us so well, he knows exactly the things that need to happen so that we might know our brokenness. We might know our sin. We might know these things that Paul described of us. So that we might actually repent. And out of that repentance, experience the grace and kindness of God and be able to extend it to others. This is how kindness is expressed. It begins by understanding who we are and who we were. And from there, we can begin to show kindness to others. Brings us to our last point, kindness personified. This, I shared with others last Sunday after I preached that patience is what I struggle with the most, probably of all the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. But then lo and behold, Sunday night comes, and I just show absolutely no kindness to one of my kids. And it was really bad. Like, it took me a while to settle down and begin to put this sermon together because I just felt so much shame of the lack of kindness I showed toward one of my kids this week. And I know we could know the definition of kindness. We can even understand our gravity and what Jesus did for us in our own brokenness, in our fallenness. But we know that that, that ultimately still we wrestle with being people who extend kindness to others. So how do we do that? Well, it comes here in the person in the person of kindness. The ultimate pinnacle of kindness is in Jesus, right? Look at verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our savior appeared. He appeared. It wasn't just some declaration of what kindness is, right? It's not just a definition of what kindness is that we see in the Old Testament and New Testament. No, kindness became a person in Jesus he appeared and what does he do he saves us one scholar said this beautifully he said before the spiritual fruit of kindness can appear in our hearts and lives it first had to appear in Bethlehem it first had to walk this earth serve the world live our life and die our death Putting your faith in the appearance of God's kindness in the person of Jesus Christ will produce the very same virtue in your own heart. He never once did anything out of selfish ambition, did he? He never manipulated others. He always sought the welfare of others, and it came at his own cost, his life. Death on the cross for us. That was the ultimate example of kindness. That he showed us. It wasn't some personality trait that Jesus had. It was who he was because the spirit of God was upon him. And that same spirit resides in you and me. We have that spirit of kindness that's within us. And, and through Jesus' work, we can begin to manifest that in others' lives. And I think there's just three, two beautiful ways that we see that in Jesus, and how we can actually practice that for us. First, it's hospitality. Hospitality. One scholar I was reading said it this way. He said, it's been said Jesus was killed because of the way he ate. Not because of his uh, table manners, or because he ate with his mouth open or closed. No, what he's talking about is the people that he ate with. In the Greco-Roman world, who you ate with mattered. It set you up in the status level that you should be at. And here, who did Jesus eat with? He ate with the outcasts. He ate with the sinners. Those that his culture would have said are completely hopeless, who are sinners and don't deserve to be associated with. Those are the people Jesus practiced hospitality with. They found it scandalous and offensive. And we should too. But it's this beautiful practice of hospitality that we are called to live out that is scandalous. To eat with people that disagree with us. To invite people over that don't look like us. People that you will never get anything in return with. Or do you only have people over and practice hospitality with people that have the same means as you? where you know that they will invite you back over because you invited them over. Or there are people in your home that you know have absolutely no means to be able to give back. What does hospitality look like for us? Christian Christian hospitality is about those who have no business being there. That's true hospitality. But I think kindness is also expressed through interruptions, interruptions. Part of why that moment at Target was so hard for me to show any kind of kindness was because I felt like I was a busy man. I had studying to do. I had exams to do. I had a college ministry to do. I had a family with kids to take care of. And for me, being at the Target line was, the, was a very, um, it should have been very efficient. But do we allow ourselves moments of interruption so that we can actually practice kindness? So many things that Jesus did, his acts of kindness, was because he was interrupted. He was going, in one account, to take care of a real health crisis. And yet, as he's going through the crowd to get to, uh, to address the health needs of someone else, what the happens? There's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years that touches his cloak. And does he just disregard it and go to the needs that he had to go fulfill? No. He lets himself be interrupted and addresses this woman who's unclean, who's been bleeding for 12 years, and addresses her. Another situation where he's practicing hospitality with the rulers of that society. And as he's eating, what happens? A woman comes in, who's most likely a prostitute. And she has this alabaster jar that costs her hundreds of thousands of dollars in today's time. And instead of scurrying her away because she shouldn't be there, first of all, what does he do? He allows her to interrupt his meal while he's practicing hospitality. Hospitality. And he meets her and shows compassion and honors her and gives her dignity and worth and value. Jesus allowed interruptions to happen even in the most busiest times. Probably, arguably, the busiest man on earth. And allowed for interruptions to happen so that he could practice kindness. Are we so busy that we don't allow for interruptions? We're so busy... That instead of kindness, we're unkind. We get angry, we get frustrated, we get annoyed. Do we practice hospitality? Do we allow interruptions to happen in our lives so that we could be people of kindness? As we deal with the growing hostility in our current moment, in our cultural moment, where both inside the church and outside the church, outrage and anger and frustration and hostility continues to grow, can we be people who choose to love, choose joy, choose peace, choose patience, and if we look at this morning, choose kindness. We can act justly. We can actually love mercy and walk humbly with our God. And so let's practice these things. Let's practice hospitality. Let's be open to interruptions and live life of sacrifice as Jesus did for us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to the table, there's no better picture of the kindness that you showed us. That as mere creatures who can give you nothing, you loved us enough out of your promise-driven love, this beautiful, gritty hesed love you die for us though we did not deserve it though even today we continue to rebel and disobey and be people who are unkind yet lord you still show us amazing kindness unconditional love patience so lord i pray that as we come to the table Lord, remind us of who we are that we belong to you and because of the kindness that you show us as we eat and drink now Lord, strengthen us. Remind us of who we are so that, Lord, we might be able to show kindness to others, though that it might be costly, it might interrupt our busy schedules. Lord, I pray that we could be people who emulate this life. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.